Hi everyone, I'm your host, Lisa Fazio, and this is Wild Under Root, a podcast about plants, place, and magic. Even if lightning strikes, or if thunder splits the sky, if the mountains fall and rivers overflow, you can never stop a seed from growing. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Wild Under Root podcast with myself, Lisa Fazio. And today, my guest is Jordan Reed, who I met through because she participated in my Della Medicina one class, which is about plants and ancestral reclamation um, based from my own lineage of Italian American. So Jordan was part of that class. And then um, she did some work with a bunch of ancestral plants and some of the exercises that we did in the class. And shortly after had um, a pretty amazing experience that she shared with me. And I just, after hearing the experience, I just felt like, wow, I think this is something that a lot of people would be inspired by um, and feel in solidarity with because Jordan, you're adopted. And um, one of the big questions that always comes up um, it comes to me and uh, it comes up in ancestral work in general is when folks don't have any idea of their ancestry, whether because they're adopted or they just lost that connection for the multiple reasons that that happens. Um, it, it can really feel like a block for people. And so it just felt like this would be an inspiring story. So welcome, Jordan. And Thank you. Um, we've been talking obviously before we started recording. Um, well, so I've already said thank you, but I'm just going to say it again because I really do appreciate you taking your time. I know you've got a little one and a teenager and a job and all the things. So um, thank you. So I'm just going to um, turn it over to you and let you share um, some of what you were sharing with me about your work in the world, which um, I feel also is really inspiring to others. So, um, oh, and I'll just say um, for my land acknowledgement, um, I am coming to you from Haudenosaunee, um, AKA Iroquois territory in New York state, as always um, here in the Adirondack foothills. And Jordan is coming from um, Nova Scotia, Canada, and I'll let you do your land acknowledgement and let us know about your work in the world. Welcome Jordan. Perfect. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. And I think you're right. Um, it's so important to share stories on this note for people who are adopted when we're talking about ancestral work, because it almost seems untouchable, unreachable, but, but you can, you can get there. Um, and so I'm happy to share my story. Um, I'm talking to you from Mi'kma'ki, which is uh, the unceded, unsurrendered territory of the Mi'kmaq people, also known as Nova Scotia, um, Halifax, Nova Scotia, city in eastern Canada. So the work that I do 
the day-to-day work that I do in the world is um, basically I'm the uh, executive director, CEO of a company that brings international students into Canada and helps them um, with their English language proficiency because they have a goal of attending university abroad in Canada. And here in Canada, I'm not sure how it is in the US, but you do have to show your English language proficiency Hmm. in order to to attend university here. Um, So we help them meet their language goals so they can move on with their life and attend university. A lot of them have a goal of becoming a permanent residence of Canada. So doing university is a first step to getting that. So I've helped many people get their permanent residency and some employees as well. So not not just helping international students but also some of the employees as well right now we're doing everything online because of covid so our reach is it's a little bit bigger but we're in a different different competitive market because we're online we're competing Mm, with everybody online and we're not Mm. just selling nova scotia so a little bit of a change there but that's okay um and one thing we do focus on as a school that does set us apart is we have our students out in the community doing hundreds and hundreds of hours of volunteerism while they study with us. And we have a curriculum focus on social justice, um, very zero tolerance policy for any type of anything that doesn't fall into the category of anti-oppression. We we have a very serious zero tolerance policy for it. And it's been really beautiful. We've had students come from countries where it's the cultural norm to um, be homophobic, like widely the cultural norm to be homophobic Mm, and very hatefully homophobic. Mm. And we've had students come and study with us. And by the end of their time studying with us, they're at the front of the uh, pride parade in the summertime, waving the flag, like, you know, total 180 mindset change. Amazing. And conversations talking about anti-racism and um, the many facets within that. Um, we have amazing conversations with our students and really doing groundbreaking work on many different levels beyond just learning English. But we also do um, other language studies too. And actually I'm about to launch a program called Learn the Language of the Land. And it's going Mm. to be um, Mi'kmaq language lessons, which will be free to all Mi'kmaq people. Um, Wow. And then there'll be a fee for uh, non-Mi'kmaq people. But um, really excited about that. And I think we're going to be launching a Japanese program here soon. So trying our best to help people connect with the world around them and um, yeah, just doing what we can with, with the job and the position that we're in. And I myself left home at 17 and started traveling the world. So it's a job that's in line with my uh, understanding of, of culture and cultural connections and languages. I'm a multilingual speaker um, and I did a master's degree in education specifically in um, this language acquisition field. So, wow. so it all lined up well for me. My, my undergraduate degree was in international development and uh, I did a minor in, in comparative religious studies. So there's many different crossovers that I weave oh, into wow. my yeah. everyday um, business. But uh, so I that- personally don't, I was just going to say, I don't feel it's too related with, with my 
my herb practice and my ancestral work and my, you know, my, the magic I do at home, but you, you seem to think it is. So I also, I'm open to hearing that too. (laughs) Oh yeah. I think it's so, I feel like it's so relevant. Um, I think like we talked about before we started recording, just, um, having cultural competency, um, and ethics Mm -hmm. definitely helps in, um, both herbal work and in ancestral work. I think it helps part of, um, a big part of my ancestral work in the world is focusing on ethics and respect because of the colonial, um, backdrop Mm -hmm. that the struck colonial structure that we're in. I think that, Mm -hmm. um, those things need to be constantly being like, re-watered and re-nourished and mm-hmm. re-brought into the conversation so that they don't like fall to the to the side and we don't get in our well I can't speak for Canada um uh, here in the U.S. anyway I'm assuming it's similar there but here in the U.S. um we don't get cultural competency in any formal way I don't know about people um students coming, international students coming in. I'm not sure, you know, what the expectation for them learning English is or whatnot, if there's programs, I don't have any idea. Um, But in, in, in the country here, um, we're not even taught a second language until um, middle school. Mm. And then usually the options, depending on where you are, but like, for instance, in the school, this is a rural school district, Title I school, which is a poor, very poor school. Um, there's one late you can learn Spanish and the teachers aren't um, certified usually because they can't get certified teachers. So <laughs> our, our cultural competency, um, my, I've talked about this before, but, you know, I learned, I feel like a lot of my like international um, learning outside of personal travel was in my, just because I grew up in an immigrant neighborhood in a Mm -hmm. refugee center and what's yeah. So like, but it wasn't, there was no, um, there was no like elder support or any like social, like infrastructure for that learning. It was really like, you know, just you know, learning by fire, Mm -hmm. you know, through trial and error with a lot of, um, ethnic and racial tension in everyday life that we all had to learn to negotiate. Um, so I do feel super relevant because, um, I definitely early on developmentally learned, learned, um, um, ethnic and cultural sensitivity as a means of like avoiding conflict really, you know, and as a means of making friends. Mm-hmm. So, yes. uh, um, well, the town I, I came from was very, very, very white, very small town, wealthy town, very, very white and still largely is, although, uh, there's been much more, uh, diversity. There's been some initiatives, with immigration over the years and things like that. Um, It's a little bit different in Canada, only slightly. I mean, I would say it's both countries are just as oppressive towards BIPOC, 
you know, I mean, the white supremacy we live in is, is, is global. But um, so linguistically, I, I had cultural competency. I was in a, in a French immersion program, right from, I think it was from kindergarten. And my province actually is fully bilingual. So the signs are both in French and in English. Mm. Um, and French and English in Canada generally have a um, friendly relationship. You know, the, our, our prime ministers, our current prime minister does his addresses in both languages, for example. But, um, you know, we have the same problems that that you that you have in the US as well just smaller scale because there's fewer people probably so um, I think probably my early my earliest understanding of, of of cultural competency would have been linguistically and understanding uh, the importance of knowing as many languages as possible and that was always a goal for me and then the curiosity comes from well what comes with this language what culture comes with this language where do these people come from what do they eat how do they celebrate what do right. they wear right. what do they look like if they look like something you know what religions do they practice those are all the things that you start to question when you start to learn another language. And well, I was need, always very, very interested in that. You need to know that in order to speak the language properly because oh, yeah. there's culture so many, culture, the con there's so many the nuances, you know, it's like, yes, completely. I know just um, my minimal use of Ita uh, learning of Italian and being in Italy that, you know, you learn something, you know, from a class or a book or a tape or whatever. And then you say it to somebody in that actual culture and they just look at you like, what? What? Because if you don't know the cultural context of what you're saying or what the vernacular use of certain words and phrases are, you're out, right? Like you're, <laughs> you're not going to make sense. So yeah. what, so what other language, what other languages do you speak? I know you. you so yeah, French. English and French fully bilingual. Um, and then over the years, I picked up Spanish, Korean, Mandarin. I, I, do work in China quite a bit, not lately because uh, I have a two-year-old and COVID um, and I used to live in Korea. So I lived on a very small, small island in Southern Korea where people didn't speak English. So you kind of had to pick it up immediately. Um, although it's been a long time since I've used it. And Spanish is just one of those things, you know, if you're going to travel, you need to know Spanish. But other languages on my goal list, or I would love to work more on my Mandarin. And I think my son's planning on moving to Japan. And so probably I'll pick that up a little bit better and uh, Arabic. So those are sort of oh, wow. my goals. You know, when there's time. Yeah, <laughs> I know. So much to do, so much time, so little to do. <laughs> Wait, scratch that. <laughs> well, and Italian. Yeah. I, you'd pick up Italian quick. I'm oh, sure. so quickly. I've yeah. been to Italy several times and it's always like, you know, a few days in the Spanish and the French and it all collides and I survived just fine. So do you want to this segue into sharing your, um, your genetic lineage because you're adopted yeah. and then your adopted lineages, if you want to share those. Yeah. So, um, uh, genetically, biologically, um, my biological father is Italian American, um, grew up in Boston, um, 
and my biological mother is actually from the same province in Canada that I'm from and her lineage is French and settler colonial. So from, uh, I believe it was, I think actually, yeah, settlers from France. And then I think some from England as well. And that's very common in the part of uh, Canada that I'm in, the French colonial settlers. So that's kind of um, that side. And I'm, I'm really not, I'm connected to my biological mother. We are friends. Um, I'm really not too connected to her lineage though. Mm-hmm. Um, although it does go back to France and I did have a pretty intense moment in France in the forest at one point where I mm-hmm. felt like I had been in this forest before and this was a place where women had gathered mm. to do you know what women do under the moonlight and I had gone back to the elder in this very 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 small town maybe 300 people live in this town and I said I was just down you know, down by the water on this big hike. And I had this overwhelming sense that this is where witches used to gather. And he said, yes, traditionally, that's where the women used to gather on the full moon, Mm. like hundreds of years ago. So there was something there. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I think that was like in my blood somehow, you know? Um, Anyway, it was incredible. To this day, I think that's probably my, one of my favorite places in, the whole world that town and that forest and I've been to over 40 45 countries something like that been traveling for a long time I left home at 17 so I don't say that lightly when I say Mm. you know the energy there for me was incredible um and then on my biological father's side um I had I had traveled to Italy for the first time when I was geez I want to say 18 or 19 and my mom remembers me saying at the time that I felt like I was home because Mm. we never knew we never knew anything about my lineage at all until I was 25 so this was long before I had known anything I had no identifiers I had no connection bloodline connection to speak of but my mom my mom who raised me my mom she um she remembers me saying when I when I first arrived in Italy and I don't even remember where it would have been because I had I've been all over but I had said you know I feel I feel homecoming here I might be Italian oh I I mean I'm just getting because you know one of the questions I was going to ask you being as you're so widely traveled is if you felt I know myself and I already knew my lineage, so, you know, could have been my expectation, but I know mm-hmm. going to my ancestral homelands as opposed to going to other, um, other places felt. You felt so it. I felt it. And, and, and you've you know, been to but, Ireland too, you said. Yeah. I've been to both my ancestral, um, homelands and it felt it in both places in different ways in both places, but like, definitely like nothing, no, like no other place I've ever been mm-hmm. that I even here where I, yeah. where my family's been for 200 years. I, I, I feel connected here deeply, but wow. in a different way. So I just, I'm curious about, so yeah, I did me- have that feeling and I had no idea about like, this was before ancestry.com type thing. And this was before I had ever made contact with my biological mother and I did feel it and people would say like you know the 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 saying where are you from like and then I'm like um 
Atlantic Canada, but they're like, where yeah. are you from? You know, they want to know like your lineage or and that. So I would eventually just say, I don't know, but I think I might be Italian. I yeah. just started saying <laughs> Um, oh, turns out it was true, yeah. but I have to say the last time I, I went to Italy, I've probably been to Italy. Um, cause I pop in for work a few times, probably five times, something like that. The last time, maybe the last two times I didn't feel a connection more than just it's Italy, which is amazing, which everyone's happy to be in, you know? Yeah. But that first time I went, I really felt it. And also I have never been to Sicily. And so we can get into that later, but it turns out that that's where my ancestors um, came from. So probably when I go there, uh, I'll have a, a totally, totally new sentiment about it all. I'm, I'm certain the- I will. I'm assuming, do you follow, um, just speaking of Sicily, um, I'm assuming you follow Mary Beth Bonfilio. Oh yeah. She's the one who offers the, yeah. is it, ra- yeah. what's it called? Radici, Radici Siciliani or something. Oh yes. 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 Oh, I would love to go on that trip. Yeah. I can't oh. because I'm moving, but yeah. I did, I did write to her and ask if she was going to do it next year. Cause I would love to go. Have you done it? No, I haven't. No, I haven't. Yeah. Well, if you want to wait, we can go next year together. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I mean, I think I'm assuming she'll, you know, I think as long as there's a need, she'll. I think uh, that's what she said. Yeah. I mean, it's a passion, obviously. It's a passion. Yeah. She wants to be doing it as much as possible. It's it's like her path. It's like part of her path. Well, maybe we should just elaborate more for people listening what it is. Essentially, it's a, a, a tour of Sicily that's much more than tour that's ingrained interwoven with herbs and uh I think she does some sites to do with Black Madonna yeah and there's Um, like there's cooking there's some other I think some like maybe fiber arts so there you know you're it's really like um you know, it's not a, it's not so much a tour as a like real, like, um, immersive rooting. experience, it's immersive, like rooting experience, especially and- to connect with one's ancestral land. Yep. Yeah. And it's I don't, you don't incredible. have to be Sicilian or Italian because no, it's, it's like just, it's a deep land connection that, um, can mm-hmm. transcend to like any, um, ancestry. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, but for those who are yeah. drawn to it, though, for that reason, yeah. would be like, you know, highlight of the life type thing. <laughs> I'll put a link um, to Mary Beth's um, contact stuff. In yeah, that's the- a great idea. So, yeah. So, um, so your biological um, lineage is mm-hmm. French and Italian. Yeah. When I'm in France, too, I have to say, I always feel very grounded, like almost like I would say like a second as far as being outside of North America, um, well, I mean, I don't consider being in the U.S. feels like home at all. So I should just say, as far as being outside of Canada, France feels like like a second home. I've been there many times, but it's not just that. And it's not just that linguistically I'm so comfortable there. I think there's something deeper there, probably. There's just a natural sense of connection. Yeah. I've always felt that way about France. Um, so yeah, so that's, um, that's, that's like 
I think an across the board feeling that a lot of people have when they go. And it's really interesting to hear somebody who's adopted who didn't even know. And I, so for me, yeah. it's like, I, I kind of anticipated and you don't know, I anticipated that feeling and you don't know if, um, you know, your anticipation just like creates it, you know, kind of brings it to, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm experiencing this because I'm home. And then also, like I'll say in Italy, um, you know, being as I was raised with Italian people who are Italian immigrants and, and hearing Italian and seeing Italian faces and all those things, like there's that too, for me, that familiarity of like, oh, this feels like so home to me, like everybody looks like me or whatever. But, um, I also feel that deeper, like, you know, blood and bone kind of, Mm. um, connection there. So it's good to hear that, you know, it's like, even when you're not expecting it, that's there. Cause I think it's real, you know, I think it's a real thing that we feel. In my experience, it's very real because I, this was years before I had proof, you know? And it's interesting because it's like, I can't even put it like when I think about like, so it's like, I also, I do feel very connected, um, in here in, um, New York state where I live in the, mm-hmm. in the foothills. Like I feel a very deep sense of home here. As I said, my, um, family, both sides, um, have been here. My Italian side only for two generations and my Irish side for several, four or five generations. Um, wow. So in this general, not exactly where I am, but in this, um, there's like two counties here where everybody's always lived. And, um, I do feel, you know, very connected. I feel like you could just eat the dirt there and just be healed of whatever ails you, but it's not the same. I just have to say it's not the same. And I don't even know how to, it's, it's not, it's not three-dimensional even it's not Mm -hmm. linear and it's not hierarchical. It's not like I feel more something here there. It's just something different in my ancestral homelands Mm. that maybe the word is deeper or longer. I don't know. Maybe there's a, a deep longing that generationally is passed down because for whatever reason, your people had to leave those, those homelands. I mean, there's definitely that there's the the grief. It's like, it's like, oh my God, we lost, you know, um, DNA so much. Mm -hmm. Um, so anyway, um, so, so do you want to like, try, do we hit all the like introductory? I think we hit all the introductory like topics and I guess, um, unless, is there anything else you wanted to add in terms of like, um, sort of like the foundations of your work or your, well, there was something that had popped into my mind, but it's since slipped out. Um, so that's fine. We'll just keep rolling. <laughs> so I guess my next question is, and we want to get into your story, right. Which is what brought mm-hmm. us together here, but, um, is, you know, what got you into what, what led you into, obviously, apparently you were, you were searching for your birth parents. Um, but what really do you feel like led you into your ancestral work? And did you do like DNA? Uh, That's exactly what I was going to mention on. Um, well, first of all, and I can touch on two points. One is, you know, my lifestyle practice. I'll circle back to that. But 
I think what will resonate with people listening who are adopted for many adopted people, there's this deep sense of unknowing um, when you know nothing about your bloodline. And it doesn't matter if you came into a family that loves you and has given you all the best that life has to offer or, or you didn't have that experience in either case, there's going to be a longing for wanting to know where you came from. And there's really no way to avoid that. I've never met anybody adopted who hasn't had that. It didn't matter what family you came into, whether your family was, you know, full of love and gave you, you know, you didn't want for anything, or you had a different experience. At the end of the day, there's going to be some want to know where you came from. And within my situation, so I'm white and I was adopted into a white family. I've noticed that when white adoptees are put into white families, there's even less of a conversation about your ancestral roots. When we see, for example, white families having transracial adoptees, there is a conversation there. Often it's not done well, right? right? Often parents miss the mark, right? You know, that's a totally separate conversation to have, but I'm just saying there's at least uh, an awareness of a lineage, an awareness of a cultural connection that one will openly probably be able to seek out but Mm. in white to white adoptions it's almost like there's no conversation there's there's right because you're racialized white and so you're there's no there's no I mean I mean I think there's a problem with whiteness in general is is what whiteness has done to all of us is like um is this assimilation homogenization of all these um you know really a diverse bunch of different nations and cultures and histories. Yeah. So, and just for example, had I have been Korean and adopted into my family, there would always have been some understanding within me that my lineage is Korean. Right. And growing up, I could have an interest in Korea. I could seek that out you know, the family, if they were trying to keep me culturally connected, could do many, many things to facilitate that. Right. Right. But that wasn't the case for me. And I I certainly don't want to make any type of comparison between my situation and and a transracial adoption situation, because there's no comparison. And yeah, it's a very difficult situation, Mm. but yeah, white, a white person going into a white family it's like for me in my case is there was no nothing to speak about there was no lineage to talk about there was no lineage to question there was no conversation about where I had come from other than I didn't come from my mother's womb that was it and so for me I had a real um sense of longing that I don't even think I really fully understood until I was in my mid twenties. 
And then it even just escalated. Like, I don't even think I really fully understood how much I needed to know my, my ancestry until I figured it out in the past few years. Mm-hmm. It's like, I didn't know I was missing it until I knew about it. And then I felt mm-hmm. a sense of connection that I didn't know I was missing, but I really have been missing. Yeah, I can so I'm just really feeling that. I mean, I my my experience with it, of course, is not the same at all. Um, but it feels just hearing you say that it feels to me. Um I felt this really strongly in Ireland. And I think because there was a lot more mystery about my Irish lineage because there had been more generations, like I lived. Italian culture. So I didn't, it wasn't like, Mm -hmm. you know, like I didn't, didn't have that like distance. When I went to Ireland, I mean, the day I got there, like I, 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 they walked out where we were staying onto this box that happened almost immediately. This feeling the day I got to, I walked out, we were staying in a, um, this really cool place in, um, Galway in a town called Letterfrack. And, um, I'm very familiar with Galway. I've slept on the streets there. Did you? (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Um, It's a beautiful place. Um, This was, um, anyway, um, up in this beautiful bay. And I walked out onto a bog. We were near a bog. And all of a sudden, I realized, and I was like 45, 46 when I went there. I'd been to Italy before that for the first time, but I, this was the first time I was in Ireland and, and, um, I realized I had been homesick my entire life and I didn't realize it. So like, <laughs> like I, I done it, like yes. I didn't know. So that's sort of what I'm, the reason I'm sharing this, um, is because it sounds similar to like knowing that there's a, there's like, there's this longing for something or not even realizing it until after you've yeah, already. There's like, actually a word I came across it recently. I can't remember what it is. I want to say it's like um, a Norse word or something. And it, it literally means a logging for a home you've never been to. I've heard that word. I don't remember what it is either, but I know but, what you're talking about. But you know it's there, and it's not the home; it's the land, right? And that's exactly it. That's like, um, that's. I think like, we all have that to some degree. Well, if you're tuned into it, then you have it to some. Degree. I mean, I think I think so. This is so. This has come up too in conversations with others about ancestral work. Um, is that to varying degrees? Um, we're all displaced Hmm. from that connection. Like there's, there's not been a people that have not been impacted by colonialism, capitalism, patriarchy, um, the climate devastation to climate, um, the end of um, peasant and village life and indigenous life that hasn't been impacted. And I, you know, I think, I think we do, I think everybody feels it to some degree 
or another. It's oh, yes. Or of course, varying degrees. Some of us are majorly profiting off of all of that in right. our lifestyles and right. our whiteness and our ways. Yep. While yep. others are still in the trenches of it, living it day to day in war right. and conflict and starvation and homelessness and, you know. Like two thirds of the world are like. Yes. <laughs> like yeah. 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 So, yeah. Um, but, you know, we're all bound to um, bound to it. And, and, you know, just, I feel like touching on that is, I feel like particularly for white people that, um, that doing that work, which is also part of why I'm doing this is doing that work of like, of like being in touch with that sense. And I think, so I think part of the assimilation and alienation process of whiteness of settler colonialism is a disconnect from that feeling. That's why we don't, we're not aware of it. It's like, we're not aware that, mm-hmm. you know, we're just like, you know, we, we take on, um, you know, in, here in the U S it's like, we take on this American identity and the idea of entitlement that goes along with it, which is, you know, indoctrinate. And then our, and then our identity, racialized identity as, as white. And so then it's like, oh, we have no people. This is our people. Then we get, you know, this like fundamentalism around it, which we're seeing so strongly right now, um, mm-hmm. at least here in the U.S. I, I, I'm not tuned into how that's going in Canada, but I'm, I'm here in the U.S., you know, mm-hmm. that lack of history um, for people who are American um, has turned into white nationalism, where now there we've identified with um, the United States as like this white mm-hmm. construct or homeland, mm-hmm. and it's like, um, and anybody who doesn't fit into this um, framework or paradigm, um, it's like if you're not with us, you're against us. And so, I feel if we like- have something similar to that in Canada. It's not as much white nationalism, I don't think, but it's definitely very much a sentiment of um, you're from here or you're not. You're a come from aware. There's actually a whole play that came out. I think it was called Come From Away. Uh, and it might have hit Broadway or uh, maybe I f- forget the name of it, but it's recently gotten big the past few years. But this whole idea of where are you from? Yeah, but where are you from? And it's in Canada that even whether you speak French or English or, you know, appreciate and participate in different cultural festivals and fairs and, you know, have friends from all around the world or you're in touch with different foods or whatever it looks like for a white person to digest multiculturalism. um, They're still at the end of that day, where are you from? (laughs) You know, we have that too. Even though our government talks about, uh, you know, immigration and diversity being the fabric of Canada, you know, in practice. I mean, we did, you know, here in the U.S., it's like, you know, the Statue of Liberty, bring us your poor, your weak, your, you know, and it's like, but, you know, when the, when that actually happens, you know, we, you know, shoot at them. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I mean, when people do show up, at the border um Mm -hmm. uh you know they don't we don't we don't actually we don't actually do that and even when they get in even if they get a 
a green card or whatever to get to, they get their papers to even be here um, in a in a documented way. Um, you know, they're treated as second class citizens. So um, it's really Just slightly, slightly different reality here. Um, we still have a big push for immigration because we're our numbers are so much smaller than the U.S. Like a quick Google. Do you know how many people live in the U.S.? 30 million. Okay, so no, in might, Canada, you're in Canada. What's there's 38 million people who live in the in Canada, and there's 308 million in the U.S. 329 million who live in the U.S. So yeah. that's those numbers are enough to understand why there's a more acceptance from people and government for immigration. Can, sorry, are they accepting Americans? <laughs> I know a lot of, I know a lot of people here want to move to Canada. <laughs> a lot of people have. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people have. Um, and there's been like funny things you hear on the radio, like free land for people who are seeking um, political refuge from Trump. And, you know, you hear that every so I often. Mean, seriously, people are just, you know, I, and I'm, I'm actually, you know, I feel like I'm actually like, um, I'm not that person. I'm like, I no, like I'm, 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 um, I'm connected here. I'm staying with the trouble, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm staying here, but I, I definitely have to be honest that I've had my moments of like, you know, yeah. why, why couldn't I live in Canada? Or like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, me alone and we're a smaller business, not too small, but small enough. I probably help at least five people a year immigrate to Canada with their permanent residency. Mm. That's just me. And I don't even really work in that line of business. So there's, yeah. there's lots of opportunity. It's good we're to kind know. Of, we're kind of um, digressing a bit from the real. Uh, yeah. So let's I know. We want to talk about. <laughs> so, so we're talking about, so that that's cool. Like I, you know, it's like, it's like, this is like, you know, um, this is like letting it, the getting into the flow and letting it move through us. And mm -hmm. so, um, but yeah, so, you know, the question was, you know, what brought you, you know, into ancestral work? I mean, obviously, you know, something attracted you to Della Medicina, um, mm -hmm. you know, and right. like, so you were doing this work and, in a before you came to that and before the experience that we're going to share with everybody. Right. So what brought me to your course was that I have been practicing um, herbalism and preventative medicine, holistic herbalism through probably for probably the last 15 years, I want to say. I'm not a herbalist, so maybe I should just say plant medicine. Anyway, I've been working with herbs and plants at home as a lifestyle for about 15 years. That's how I've raised both my kids, my husband, you know, we, we use preventative herbs. That's how we stay healthy. It's just part of our lifestyle. We don't use pharmaceuticals at home whatsoever. Like I, I, you know, I would not take a Tylenol or an Advil for a headache. It just would not happen. And I don't even know when the last time 
that was. And that's because I do have enough information and enough access to different resources, whether I bought them at the store or wildcrafted them myself, that I know how to treat those things. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've always been very interested in that. I've always been very interested in dream work and dream journeying. And I've done a lot of healing through dream journeying, um, very intentional work and healing. Um, some more, I guess what you would consider modern Wiccan practices, which I've since made the connections are rooted in Southern Italian folk practice. I also do like protection magic and the use of amulets and all these things. And I started connecting the pieces of all these interests that I have as a way of lifestyle are actually really rooted in traditional folk practice of Southern Italy. And when I made that connection right around that time, your course had popped up. And I was like, this is so interesting that this sort of hobby and lifestyle that I have is, is, deeply connected to Southern Italy. And at this part of my life, before your course came, I knew that I was Italian, but I actually thought that the links had me all linked to Calabria. So I thought that, and maybe there's something. Was that, there that did, you do, did you do DNA? Yeah, through DNA testing. But now I'm, you know, there's been a lot that I've connected even more with with Sicily and just practices that I do at home and I'm just like I'm picking up on these things just naturally I'm drawn to these things but you know they mu- must be deeply in my bones somewhere too it's yeah not so just- did you find out you're Sicilian through your yes yeah yeah, okay. yeah. and then so I guess that leads to another question is or, or maybe something that maybe you could share for folks who either don't know their ancestry or are adopted for like, what do you feel like are the like blocks or what are you facing? Like when you start into ancestry, ancestral work with that, like, and what helps you Well, first of all, yeah, you don't have a name. Even if you had a name, you know, like one name could help you with your altar work or your prayer work or your dream work or some something to anchor in on maybe it doesn't have to be a name but even if it was like a town or a country or something for you I guess that would be the most important thing that feels like an anchor and so even if it was just like oh Italy like you know you don't I think that's enough right I think that is enough actually it would be up to the individual but whatever feels like enough of an anchor to have some connection like one connection I think can open up the floodgates. And even if you can't have that one connection, ultimately, I mean, we're talking about a lot of metaphysical stuff, right? So ultimately you've just got to trust. Yeah. So that's really what I did. Um, When I, and I, I do ancestor altars and I do that for, you know, ancestors that I have grown up with in my adoptive family that I know. Um, Do you want to talk about that a little bit for, cause I, I know a lot, a lot of times adopt, when you're adopted, you also connect deeply with your. With oh, your, totally. Yeah. yeah. My mom's um, family, uh, they were McPherson's from Scotland. I think it was the Isle of Man. And I lived in Scotland. I moved there when I turned 18. Like I felt really connected to Scotland mm. and I, I love Scottish 
history and people and the magic of the highlands yeah. i i'm connected to scotland for sure um through them and then my father's family is irish he he was mm -hmm. o'hara and they came over and oh really my mom that. my grandmother great-grandmother was an o'hara Oh, there's a lot of O'Hara's. There is. <laughs> I think this is like one of the big ones. Oh, but you know what? Actually, my dad does have some O'Hara. I'll have to circle back with that because he does have O'Hara in in um, New York, I'm pretty sure. I'll have that would to be wild. Back. Wouldn't it be wild if we were related? That would be so cool, right? But through the Irish side. Through the Irish also. side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they were I, a big family here. They were, there was a whole bunch of them, so. Oh yeah. My dad's mom came from 17 kids wow. and you know, they came from 20 and yeah, huge families, the Irish Catholics. <laughs> well, they were trying yes. to repopulate their, they, 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 this is a little off side thing, but like, um, one of the things I learned in Ireland is like this, the saint of the town that my great grandfather was born in. Um, it was, uh, the town of Kilimer and he, the, the Saint Imer, his goal in life was to like repopulate the world with Irish. You know, oh, wow. Was, yeah, it was like, cause they had been, um, yeah. I, they've been occupied. They're still occupied, uh -huh. you know, yes. and, and they've been through several famines. And so it's like the Irish definitely reproduced <laughs> prolifically anyway. So your dad's Irish and your mom's Scottish and yep. yeah. Um, their families very much were Irish and Scottish, uh, and they, my mom's family, they were colonial settlers. They settled in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. Um, they were given their stolen land from the crown when they came. That was my mom's family. Um, my dad's family would have come over as immigrants, like, because they had to. Um, and I don't even know what year it was, but I think it was the early 1800s or mid or something like that um so so that always felt good for me to know but it never felt like it filled any type of sense of belonging lost belonging that I had it didn't feel that right so for me, it was incredible to go on Ancestry.com. Anybody listening who's adopted, if you're not on Ancestry.com or 20, what is it, 23? or 23 and me. Yeah, something, anything. It really helps place you in the world in a way that nothing else really will. Um, also, for those who aren't adopted who go on, just be careful because... I've heard people who found out they were in fact adopted because once you log on, if you have a parent on there, it will say like mother, father, because the genetic coding is so tight. There's no, there's no I mean, way my, to mess that my up. My mom, my, you know, my mom, I, we, I laughed because my mom and I both did ancestry.com and I, when I saw it, cause it comes up and I'm like, guess what? You're my mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I I actually did. I had a, a, um, a, a woman message me because we, we were a match mm -hmm. and she was adopted and I, and Ooh. she couldn't, she couldn't, she didn't know. So she, she actually, she messaged my mom and I was, I was, I managed my mom's account. And so I responded to her. 
I helped her find. So we did. So her and I, um, your cousins, we're cousins, and and I helped her find her mother. We found her mother together. So I basically found my biological father that way. I had messaged a woman. We were connected. And my biological mother actually wasn't certain who my biological father was. She thought it was one of three people. Actually, for a really, really long time, I thought it was Israeli because she thought for sure of the three people, it was the Israeli uh, individual. But um, lo and behold, I tracked down this woman online and I gave her three different people. And she said she matched one of them. She said, that person you're talking about is my brother's son that's what we did we she like she gave she said she she had a basic idea and then I called my mom and um you know and this was all obviously top secret because we didn't want to she hadn't you have to be careful right because she hadn't she you know we didn't want to blow it in the family that this person had given a baby up for adoption like there was this whole bunch of things and this oh 100 percent. my biological father doesn't know about me there's a, there's a, there's a bunch of <laughs> ethics, right? And so, yes. yeah. and so I've never even told anybody about this other than my mom, because I promised her that it would, you know, I don't know if, if she even, now you're I, telling the whole world. So yeah, well, I, yeah. <laughs> well, they don't know. <laughs> um, but, but, um, so, but yeah, anyway, I had written that's... to this woman. I'm going to just call her an auntie for now. Cause I am going to circle back to her. So I'd written to this auntie and she had given me information um, and then this helped me just doing the whole ancestry, ancestry thing helped me have a, a rooted link to Italy, which was really, really helpful because I had remembered going to Italy and feeling this homecoming. And then she confirmed, yes, indeed, your biological father, we're Italian, you know. So mm. all that was like a real game changer for me. But that was a few years ago. So when I had saw your course come up, it was probably just a month or so before you had taught it. Um, it just made sense because of my um, herbal practice. I, I do try at least once every two years to do some type of extra education to do with yeah. herbs just to keep my mind. You probably do the same thing. Yeah, I do. To keep yeah. your mind sharp and fresh. Yeah. And you never know how you're going to learn something new about a plant that you've been working with forever and totally. some new property. Or, not that you totally. need a course to do that, but it's just a nice way to, you know, you stay relevant, you stay on your toes, you stay, yeah, you stay in it when you're t- yes. hopefully building community or talking to other people. And yeah. You know, yeah. And that was just around this time that I was really making the connections of my practices at home, lining up with traditional Italian folk practices of the South. That's that's like what your whole course is about. Right. And for me, that that was just like, this is incredible. Like I couldn't believe that these practices I have are traditional practices of where I'm from. Like that still blows my mind because no one taught them to me. I wasn't raised this way. These are literally, I was just a blank canvas. And these are things that I started doing when I was a teenager. I think that's like, I feel like this is like, this is so important, um, you know, because I feel like in general, we disregard. So it's like, we talk a lot about like connecting with our like ancestral memory and like, but, but when that really happens, I feel like it's so easy to, to dismiss it. Um, but the truth is like, And so I tell clients and people that 
I do ancestral work with, you know, sometimes it's like, even if, cause well, one of the questions always is, well, I don't really know what I'm doing or like, or, you know, I'm just going through the motions or whatever. Like, I don't know. And I'm like, just keep doing it because once you just start that engagement, like once you open that, like, even if at first it feels funky or awkward or, you know, not right, or maybe it's just not like congruent yet or anything, but like, if you just keep doing that, like mm-hmm. the thing comes alive. Yeah. So you like, make connections. You start making connections. And then that, like that intuition or whatever you want to call it, that ancestral memory, something comes through. Mm-hmm that is, is not, it's something that's both inside and outside of us at the same time, but something that we were not aware of, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so I think, I feel like that's so important. It's the same with plants, right? It's like, that's part of why in Della Medicina, I'm like, don't, even if you've already had an experience with this plant, like don't go back over it. Don't look it up in advance, not to withhold, yes. not to withhold information from yes. anybody, you know, but like, just to say like, just try your best to practice being an open vessel. And so it's like, mm-hmm. even, even if you're not at a place where you can even be open, like just knowing that it's a possibility mm-hmm. that openness can happen starts it. Yes. Like it I, initiates it. Yeah. And it's in you. It's just it's in, in you. you. It's just part I, of being human. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard that saying, like, you can't kill a witch. The witch will just be reborn. There's no killing a witch. And I just kind of feel like that's the same thing when you're tapped into your ancestral practices. They're just going to come out. They're just going to come out. And yeah. and and they may not be, um, you know, it, it, and I think this is, this is a whole other topic, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, some of it is about this idea of doing things right. And I think that there's, so there is, it is good to be respectful and ethical with traditional practices. Like, I think that's yeah. like, like super important and honoring the, um, way that they've been structured because those, though they have been structured a certain way, but then at the same time, being able to allow them to take shape in emergence with or symbiote symbiosis or symbiogenesis with who we are now. And I think that's, Mm -hmm. that's like, that's what happens. And so I feel like having a structure of a course, or just having something like you said, even Wiccan practices where you've got Mm -hmm. some, um, regimen, right. Or some discipline. Mm-hmm. that creates the container for this like organic intuitive um mm-hmm. natural pattern to emerge yes. yes and it's up to you to to understand and recognize the connections if they're to be made like i wasn't making connections with my practice to southern italy i didn't do that until just shortly before i found your course for whatever reason, wasn't making those connections. So just to say that, yes, you, you, you build up the container and then it's up to you to figure out what links, what links you to it mm-hmm. and how, mm-hmm. and if you want to do ancestral work, then those links are going to become a lot stronger. So, yeah. Which is, so then, you know, it's like, that's, it seems like sort of like once you open that, so it's a conversation, you're starting a conversation. Yes. 
right? So it's like, and, and one of the things I like to say is that, you know, the universe is, um, you know, just inherently call and response, which um, yeah, I've been, I, so, right. Like that's just how we, mm-hmm. and, and so I just want to attribute where I first heard those things from, because I feel like it's important. Um, I heard in, um, this is a um, teacher, this was with a teacher of Trika Shavism, which is a form of Hinduism by mm-hmm. the name of Shambhavi Sarasvati, who um, explained satsang, which is mm-hmm. a style of teaching mm-hmm. as call and response. So, you know, basically what it is, is you sit with a teacher and the students just ask, the conversation is open. Mm-hmm. You just ask a question. So that's the call. And then the teacher just spontaneously, improvisationally responds. And that's the satsang. Satsang. Mm-hmm. And then um, also West African, there's a style of West African music, which I don't know a lot about. Um, oh, with the drum. It's a drumming style. And, and I guess it's the foundations for modern jazz and all sorts of other. Yeah. Of it's a call music. and response. It's call and response. And so yeah. you know, they, they were the, they've, they, they've mastered, you know, that, and, you know, it's, I believe, and I'm not an expert on that style of music at all. So, but um, it, it sounds to me like it's, it's a very similar thing to being mm-hmm. in the presence of, you know, working with a plant, working with our ancestors, working with an altar, um, working with all of the beings that we're in the web with is that, you know, you like you poke the, the web, right? You like push mm-hmm. in or you call mm-hmm. into it, mm-hmm. you know, and you say, hello, ancestors or whatever, uh, mugwort or whatever. Um, th- that's just the way universal law works. It's physics that mm-hmm. you are going to get a response. Now, yeah there's a whole bunch of things that we do to resist it and block it. Mm-hmm. And, yes. you know, <laughs> yes. uh, uh, you know, and that's part of the work. Yes. But once, totally. Once you start, um, you know, it, and this is like, I, I've also, um, used the metaphor a lot of, of rhizomatic networks where it's like, you know, you anywhere, anybody, anywhere can step into it. Like it's mm-hmm. not, you don't need, um, special training. You don't need a certificate. Yes. You don't need, I mean, it's nice to have help. It's nice to have a teacher, you know, um, it's nice to have a support group or a network of people that are doing the work that you, so you're not on your own, but anybody can tap into it. Anybody can tap into it. It's very similar to uh, Reiki. Reiki practice in the West is a very, very colonial practice. The way that we have it in a weekend, you get your certificate, you do this and you do that, and it's a secret and this and that. But traditionally in Japan, that that Reiki energy is something that everybody has. Everybody can tap into that. And it's very, just, just reminds me of this idea of it's something we all have within us that we can choose to tap into when, when we want to use that or need that or have a calling for it. So you did that. (laughs) So you, you tapped in. Yes. So, um, so then in your class, we focused a lot on taking a herb, you know, for what it is, not bringing any prior relationship to, to, to taking it for that week. And then we would report back on our findings and how we felt. And then you'd talk about how it was used in Southern Italy. 
that was kind of more or less the premise of, of the course, I would say, mm-hmm. is exploring plant by plant and sharing mm-hmm. uh, information. Mm-hmm. So in the last week, um, especially, we were going to work on with the last two weeks was to do with dreaming, right? Herbs and dreaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, because I'm a dreamer, I was, you know, bringing it into my dream world from the very beginning. That was just the way I was going to approach it. Hmm. And that very last week we did mugwort, I believe it was. And and, was that sound right? Mugwort? The last week we did mugwort. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So mugwort for me is a herb that I typically can't have anywhere near me at bedtime. I don't think I had mentioned that to you, but uh, I have a very strong reaction to it. And I normally have dreams that are too intense, like Mm -hmm. just way too intense. And I won't have it get any rest. Yeah. A lot of people have that reaction to mugwort. Yeah. I would use it very purposely in a dream journey if I had to, Hmm. or just a meditation even would be better for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I thought this is part of the class. I'm just going to roll with it. I think it was a flower essence. So I said, you know what? Um, it wasn't, it was an elixir. It's actually both. Oh, it was, oh, it was, it was yes. A- it was a beautiful elixir. Yeah. That's right. With, with a moonlight now. flower essence. Yeah. Also, I forgot to tell you, I had Herkimer diamonds pulled out right around that time and I normally don't pull them out and I didn't oh, wow. realize that it was oh yeah because the, the the elixir I make with this um because I live in Herkimer Diamond this is where the Herkimer Diamonds live wow and um um we have them everywhere they're just like they pull up out of anyway that so I th- there's a company here that uses water filtered through Herkimer diamonds to make their vodka. Amazing. And yeah, and I had read that after because I had been dreaming about them. Oh, and wow. I was like, oh, okay, I think I need to bring some to my bedside because yeah. I think they want me to sleep beside them for now. Anyway, and then I had, so all these things, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to go with the mugwort. We're just going to do it. And um, so that whole week, I had a dream and I had said this in our class to everybody. I couldn't understand it. I had a dream every single night, seven nights in a row of being on the water on a boat. I never dream about boats. That's not something that's part of my reoccurring dreams or a place I go to feel safe or it doesn't, it didn't have any type of connection to me. Now I say that, but at the same time, my dad is a sailor. So I am familiar with boats. It's just, I don't typically dream about them. So these seven nights on Mugwort, I dreamed about being on a boat. And one night was with my dad. One night it wasn't. I just couldn't piece anything together. You know, I said, I know there's a message meant to come from this, but I can't figure out what it is. Well, my husband and I have been planning to move for the past year. And we were trying to figure out exactly where we want to move. And a big part of my prayer work and altar work and ancestral work was that I'd been asking for guidance to figure out where to move to. Um, so these dreams, I was thinking, okay, well, maybe it's trying to tell me I need to move near the water. 
And one of the locations actually was on the ocean, this little ocean seaside community. And I thought maybe the dream world's telling me to move there. So I tell my husband, he goes, well, the other locations on a river that your dad sails on. So basically I was back to square one because here both are narrowed down locations to do with boats and rivers and sailing. So I, nothing could be pieced together, but the last day of our course, and it was a full moon. Um, I had a dream that I was on the bow of the boat, almost like Jack and Rose Titanic style mm -hmm. on the bow of the boat with my arms open. And I felt complete bliss. Like I have never felt more bliss in my whole life than in the boat on that moment. So, and it's just sailing into the unknown. When I woke up, I said to myself, you know what? I, I think I had all those dreams just to lead up to that one dream last night of that blissful moment at sea, like nothing else really mattered. I still couldn't all piece it together, but the fact that I had that powerful dream, it almost felt like a cellular cleansing, hmm. like a really deep gift I was given and I was completely satisfied. So I left it at that, you know, didn't think about it again until five nights later. And I'll tell you what happened. I'll have to go back to that five nights later after. So the next day after your course, I said to myself, you know what? That's it. I got to up my game. I got to track down my ancestors. I can't do this anymore. I need a name. I need a location. I want to know where my people came from. So remember I was telling you about that auntie I had found online. Mm -hmm. So I had remembered that I had written to her about four years ago. So I went back to her and she was still there. And I wrote to her and she was super open and kind, like she was the first time. And she was able to give me my biological, this is paternal, great, great grandfather's name and wow. his wife, my great, great grandmother. And through her information, they were her grandparents, through her information, pieced with maps, family trees, I called them maps, sorry, family trees on ancestry.com. I was able to link and figure out when they were born, where they lived. They came from Riesi in Sicily. When mm. they came to America in 1903, they immigrated over. How many kids they had when they landed in New York, where they moved to, which I think was wow. Chelsea, Massachusetts. Yes. And they lived there till 1938. And then they moved to Boston until like the mid fifties, sixties, something like that. I could see their addresses. I could wow. see his occupation was listed as a barber. Now, whether that's true or not, but um, their children's children, I could see so much information. Like in one way, it's like, whoa, this is invasive and creepy. But on the other way, for me, as someone being adopted, that meant the world to me. That was, that was like, that felt like a life-changing moment for me because it just felt like this doorway to my past was open and it would never, it had been opened a tiny crack and it felt to me like it was open, like halfway, you wow. know, and when you go from crack to halfway, that it's not all the way open, but it's, it's really open. That's major. So, yeah. So I wrote to her the day after our last class, she wrote me back 
the following day. So our last class was on a Wednesday. And she wrote me back and I got those names, my ancestors' names, information, all of that, where I came from in Sicily on a Friday. And I had been praying for more of a connection to my ancestors for a little while. But when I really put myself out there, it came back immediately. Mm. So once I had their name, now keep in mind, we're in October. So I have the Sawin altar all built up and it's in full force because of, you know, that's the time of year it is. Now I decide, Hey, I'm going to take these names. I'm going to put, I'm going to put something representing this on my altar. That to me was incredible to be able to do that. Mm. And I've since realized my next goal is I'm just desperate for a photo of them, which I think Mm. I probably can get since it was this auntie's grandparents. She likely has a photo of her grandparents. Mm. So I might circle back to her, but where it gets really interesting, where I feel that I had direct help and guidance from my ancestors is because remember I had told you we had been searching for a home for the past year mm-hmm. and where we live, the market is incredibly competitive. Like homes are up at least a hundred thousand just in the past year. It's happening here too. It's happening. Yeah. Okay. It's like you have 15, 16 bids on a house easily. Yeah. Like you, you almost need to go at least 60,000 over asking to even have your offer looked at. Okay. So it's the same for you. Yeah. It's not, not and the, even in what well, this is a really, even in this community, which is like a depressed post-industrial breast belt, it's like, we're not going that high, but 30, 40,000 over is asking is happening. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So this is just kind of what is in the back of your mind when you're searching for a house and a new place to live. Right. That's just what it is right now. Yeah. So So that was a Friday. I had their names Friday night. I do some work at my altar. I name them. I give thanks to them. You know, I do a smudge. I light some candles. I do all the things at the time that made sense and felt right. A lot of gratitude reflected about them all Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, about coming over and what that would have felt like and then Mm -hmm. the Italian diaspora in New York and Boston at the time and you know just the horrors they had to live through Mm. unemployment and slum living and you you know what I'm talking about yeah things that I more deeply reflected on because now all of a sudden it was personal right right Sunday evening And now that I've named, sorry, now that I've named my great grandmother, I'm consciously actively asking for her help and guidance and to get us a home. So Sunday evening, this is what, two days after I've named her, a house comes on the market. It goes into our portal online only because the realtor made a mistake and didn't list it publicly. For whatever reason, it only went into our listing agent portal Monday morning we're the first people in there there's only us and another couple that looked at it that day that whole day and this is a beautiful historic home in a really beautiful town along the river maintained like very 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 lucky find that we got this so Sunday goes on the market Monday we go in we're the first people to look at it the realtor says to us, now they're not taking any offers until Friday. 
So we're going to have to see what the market does all week. And we're like, okay, well, you know, I guess it's to be expected. Yeah. They call us Monday night. They say they decided they're going to take offers as they come. The sellers change their mind. We're like, okay. So by Tuesday morning, we had an offer in, we were engaged with them in the back and forth buying process. By Tuesday, we had a deal. Wow. Now, what's even more interesting is Monday after we had the virtual viewing, when I went to bed that night, I had a dream. And in my dream, I was in the backyard of this house and I get chills when I think about it. I'm standing in the backyard of this house and all of a sudden I'm feeling the exact same physical sensation and spiritual sensation that I felt when I was on that boat in my last dream of that boat mm. dream. So I had already decided in my mind that that boat dream represented a safe, blissful state of peace. And now here I am in this dream of this. I've looked at so many homes. You have to know the past. Mm. We put bids on other homes and I'm always uncertain. Like, is this the right choice? But here I am in this backyard and I'm feeling that connection to that most blissful state I've ever been in, even though it was my dream. So I know like, this is it. This is where we're Mm. supposed to move to. Right. So we end up going firm on the house and everything clears out of our way. We didn't compete because the house didn't go public. It's incredible. We went under asking because we were like, we that's, don't love the house. That's but incredible. We are inspector, water, sewer, the bank drafts, all that stuff. Like the inspector's like, normally I'm booked 15 days in advance, but I have an opening tomorrow at 9 a.m. This is that's incredible. This is after we got we put, we, 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 we made an agreement and it was like that for everybody. It was like every door that could possibly open, even with the bank moving around our money, they're like, it takes a minimum of five days. And it was a tight deadline. Money was there in two days. Every single corner we went doors opened up and there's probably more I'm forgetting, but it just, it's insane how it all lined up. Something really, really, really magical is that our closing date is January 6th. This is just a random closing date. We were really open to whatever date the sellers wanted. Uh, Our agent suggested this day for other reasons. We're like, yeah, whatever. Didn't think about it twice at the time. And I think I had told you this. So January 6th in uh, lots of places around the world, but do you know what is celebrated in Italy on January 6th? The Epiphany. Right. So my great-great-grandmother's name is Epifania. Yeah, this is this was what really got me. It was just like, whoa. Yeah. When I, oh, I, I got the chills all over right now. Oh, Unbelievable. I, I brought to tears when I realized that that was the closing. I still get brought to tears now. And I just think of. I mean, the- she was, she, she was, she brought it. She, I mean, I was like. Her- it was her. Oh yeah. So amazing. No question. Um, and I just, and I like to think too of the beautiful, not just her name and the date, but I also like to think of the story of Bafana and the witch bringing gifts to the children. And here I am being the gift, you know, from my Italian. Oh. I mean, I'm almost day. in tears here. I mean, it's just like, it's just, 
one of the most, I've, it's one of the most beautiful ancestral um, connection stories I've ever heard. And, and I can't even imagine being adopted to like have moved through this journey yeah. to this point where you've got this ancestor just like coming in and waiting clearing the way for you. Yeah. In every I love it. Way. I'm just like a completely surrendering to all this. We're actually changing provinces. We're moving four hour drive from where we are, like a complete lifestyle change from a city to like a tiny little town, but it's closer to my parents. And it's, we're also making a choice that brings a lot of joy to a lot of other people too, mm-hmm. not just ourselves because we're moving closer to family yeah. and we have a toddler and you know how it is. So oh, it yeah. all just feels like it's all right and lining up really beautifully. And I'm just, you know, trusting. And I mean, the- I feel like part of it, part of it for me is that like, so like I was saying, like, I feel like, you know, so it's all there, but like, you know, it's like, it, that makes it sound so easy. Like, oh, you can just like tap in and like get it all. And it's like, well, you know, there's all these like, things that are like, there's so many multiple variables that are happening stories and beings and ghosts and things that are like in our systems and in the systems that we're the ecology of um, where we are doing the work that makes it so, you know, it's not, it's not like that. It's not like, Oh, I can just like tap in. I mean, for some people, maybe it is sometimes that happens for sure. But like, I feel like, you know, one of the obscurations, so to speak, or however you want to call it, one of the blocks is, um, is being in a place where you have the nervous system and emotional, um, as well as resource capacity to surrender. Yes. Yeah. Because it's like, sometimes it's like, that's, that can be, you know, that's a huge discipline and practice and, you know, and, and, and I don't think, you know, I think the idea of like ripping off the bandaid quick is only good in some situations. Like for some, some of us at some points of time is, and I know I've been there, like making big changes like that can be really destabilizing. So it's like, right. Like, so it's like, I feel like it, this, all these things just come together in the process of like, when you are ready for that to happen. And then it's just beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's such a blessing. Mm -hmm. It's such a grace when Mm -hmm. it's a delight when, um, when there's a, like contact is made like that. And that's what it feels like. It's like, Whoa. I mean, I'll have this connection now for the rest of my life and I'll pass it on to exactly. And it's not something that's ever going to go away. And I hope, I hope it only gets stronger. Right. And, and, you know, and that's usually how it goes, right. It's like it, it, um, it proliferates it. Like, it's like it, it accumulates. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm satisfied with the connection that I've made with this great great grandmother. I don't feel that I actually need to connect with anyone else in my lineage. I don't think about anyone else. Like, cause she, cause there would have been other, there would have been a great grandmother and a grandmother. Do you know what I mean? I don't feel. Yeah. Well, I, maybe you really just tapped into it. You know, well, I mean, obviously, so 
she's holding everything. We all are. I think for me, what makes her so symbolic and my husband's like, to what end? You know, she had a mother and they had a mother and where's it end? I'm like, well, for me, I think for her, her story, she was 16, I think. And she moved to America, you know, and what she would have gone through and she left her homeland and she made that migration choice because she had to, or whatever her circumstances were, she had a one or yeah, one-year-old at the time and came over. And then she had five more kids here. That story was what makes me feel connected and makes, and gives me strength. And I think I only need that one story. So I guess that goes back to what I was saying is if you can just have one, one anchor, whatever kind of grounds you in to tap into, because I was doing the ancestor work without her name for sure. I feel divinely guided all the time. And I'm certain sometimes it's, it's ancestors helping. But when I named her, then it was like, Oh, two days later or whatever. The timeline was just exponentially accelerated, but I don't think you need a name. I don't think it's that I was just able to put more of my intention in it with a name. Right. But I mean, what's in a name? I don't need a name. No, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm not adopted, so I don't know. But when, you know, when people, I've had my mysteries, you know, like I've had, you know, I, I actually found, um, we had a, my great grandfather, um, my grandfather never, ever met him. He, um, because my, um, my great grandmother, they were in the U S, um, her and my great grandfather, she got pregnant for my grandfather in the U S and then for whatever reason, um, she decided to move back to Italy. So she took the, the three older kids, two had been born here. One had been born in Italy and she was pregnant and got on a ship and went back to Italy, had my grandfather in Calabria in their, her, her village. Um, and then couldn't get back to the U S because the war broke out world war one. And she left in 1914, um, went back to Calabria, had my grandfather. And then I don't know why they did that. I don't know what happened between them. I'll never know. Um, in the meantime, he, he started, he got married. He had, he got somebody else pregnant. He had joined the army as a clarinetist. He got, got out through world war one, got out of world war, got out of the army. And then, um, got somebody else pregnant, got married, had another child, but we never knew what happened to him because my grandfather ended up actually getting stuck in Calabria. He couldn't get out of Calabria because I'm not sure what exactly happened. Some of it was the immigration act, the Italian immigration act in the mid twenties. He didn't, he didn't get here until he was 14. So, um, so he never met his father. We never knew. And nobody talked about it. Of course. Mm-hmm. we did we did know his name and I myself and one of my cousins um you know we tried and tried we had a few stories we knew he was near Kingston New York that was one of the stories so we had a few things could never find anything and it was kind of like that it was like I just kept searching um and then I started ramping up my ancestral work 
not even regarding him, but just ramping up my, just really diving in. I was doing, um, working with um, a friend of mine and, and flower essences and plants and um, just, just really, and it's interesting where it takes you, you know, and this is the thing because a lot of my, I guess, initial desire doing ancestor work was to really connect with the Irish side of my ancestry because I had been already immersed in Italianness, you know, so it, that wasn't as much of a mystery to me. Um, but um, my Italian ancestors were like, um, you know, no, you need, you really need to be doing this. Like, like they just made themselves known so strongly. And um, so I started, you know, I was working deeply with them and it was just like that. I opened up ancestry.com one day, put in a few search terms, all of a sudden this whole thing, I found newspaper articles because through this like random tree that somebody who had married, somebody who had married somebody, it was like one of those things, the guy wasn't even related to me, found articles about him because he had been, he had been in jail. He had been arrested for bigamy in Kingston. And, and then from there, I found everything um, and ended up um, actually meeting. Uh, and then we had DNA matches once we figured out who they were. So he had a whole other family. He has four granddaughters that are still alive um, that I met one of them. We, we, we connected, had lunch together um, and we have DNA matches. So, you know, cause his name was Frank Fazio. So it was just like how many millions of Frank, you know, it's Frank Fazio's everywhere. Anyway, we, I found, we found him, we found out everything that happened and not everything, but we found out a lot, a lot, a lot. And so you know, so, so why I'm saying this is because, you know, I've had my mysteries, not, I'm not adopted, but so, you know, one thing I've always told people is just start with something. And, and even if you don't have a country, so even if you just know you're European, like just start, you know, start, start looking, start and what listening. Are you like, listen to what you're drawn to go with that. Exactly. And it's like music. So um, I just actually listened to this great um, webinar with Sabina Magliocco, um, who's a anthropologist and an Italian immigrant, American um, first, she's immigrated herself, I believe, when she was a child. And um, she's done a lot of um, research on um, Southern Italian and Italian American folk medicine. Anyway, she just did this great webinar webinar at um, Harvard. It was free to the public um, about cultural appropriation. And it was great. Um, and, um, you know, one of the things she said is music, food, and stories are the three easiest myths, um, are the three most transmissible cultural traditions. Mm -hmm. And so, and I would add language um, that if you start listening to different types of music from wherever you suspect, right. Mm -hmm. You know, that you could, your ancestors could have been originated from um, language, music, and then and then foods or stories. Um, I feel like a lot of times that can start to are open those doorways 
that will lead you hopefully into food, especially. And you know what? I have this joke with my friends. I've been telling them not to bring around anything but Italian wine, Sicilian Italian wine. Like I don't want to drink it if it's not from Sicily because I do the same thing. (laughs) I feel like it's an ancestral practice. Yeah. Plus it's the only wine that doesn't make me sick. I don't know why, but it's just like, I, it's just, (laughs) yeah. So, well, that is an incredible, um, story and it, I mean, it just inspires me to hear. Um, and it makes me so happy for you. Um, well, I hope it brings some sort of like attainable sense of you just, just a sense of it being attainable for people who are adopted that for everybody. I think think that's, that's what, you know, really, uh, that's what really like, you know, touched me was it's like, um, just, you know, that this, this is something that is open to everybody that, that you can um, be a blank canvas. You can be a blank canvas. As long as you're committed to, to touching that, that piece of yourself that you've been longing to touch. You just have to have that commitment and and anchor yourself in whatever way makes sense for you. Even if you don't know. And I think that's the other part of it. It's like, it doesn't have to be, it's like, it doesn't have to be real solid at first. It'll get that way. But like, even if it's just like, this is all I have and you're just like shooting at, you know, (laughs) I think to me, sometimes it's just the, you just got to show up and, um, you know, think like you said, a canvas is like, just show up with your paintbrush. That's all you have to do. And, and then, and also minimally too, like we all came from someone, someone's womb, they came from someone and they came with someone and they came from someone. So even on that level, I mean, you can conceptualize thinking about that. You can connect to that. You came, you came from someone who came from someone just a few generations back, your egg was in their, in their body and their eggs were in their body and we're all very connected. So you can feel that if you close your eyes, or at least I can feel that. Totally. I felt that you say, I think about DNA. So I imagine those like DNA strands and I think about how they've been alive, like from ever, like that, yeah. right? Like there's, so it's like, so whatever that egg and sperm, those DNA strands, met and then created you know a whole person from those dna strands and that person's full of dna strands and when they have a child those dna strands still like they they never stop like living right like since the beginning of time those have been like pulling it's like i think of it as like a thread of light that just like is just being carried from person to person and so um, it, and, you know, certainly they alter, they recombine, but there, there's nothing new about them. Mm-hmm. Right? They've, they're unchanged. They're just combining into different forms. They're just, it's reformulation every single time, but it's all the same. And so it's like, of course we, we have, we have everything that we need already. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're all anchored in. Yeah, so yeah. just take the time to, to tap into it and make the commitment to tap into it and just be open and, you know, use, use herbs to try to help heighten that 
fence like we talked about or join like for me joining your course was really helpful because it kept my mind focused on ancestry work and I think there is I think anything that helps you focus yes yeah um and then and then I think devote devotion is is a part of it you know is like it's like um just really and I feel like when you when you move from devotion and commitment is another way is but for me like the thought of devotion it takes off my helps me with my perfectionism because like I can definitely you know not want to make mistakes or, you know, I'm always wanting to do my best and, you know, that kind of thing. But like, when I think of it as just like a form of just, I'm just so devoted and so in love with this, this practice Yeah. Yeah. that I don't have to do it right. Like I just have to, I just do it out of that place. Um, and then, and then, yeah, I think anything that helps, that helps you focus that helps you to, um, whether it's a subscription to ancestry.com or, um, you're reading reading, that keeps your mind focused on it or a journaling practice. Yeah. Journaling practice would journaling practice would probably be a great way because the streams of consciousness type journaling. Yep. And dream work. I mean, dream work has been, I mean, that's another, I mean, that's a, that's a whole other podcast, but, um, which I should do at some point, but I mean, that definitely has, um, oh yeah. Uh, dream work. I'm just like, have a problem. Let's just dream about it. <laughs> Get our answers in the dream world. Well, anyway, thank you for taking. Yeah. Thank you, Jordan. Um, so happy to share this if anyone wants to get in touch with me they can certainly email you and you can pass it along to me and we'll go i'll put my email in the all right take care bye for now bye